Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right. Yeah, we were, we were just talking for 10 minutes about stuff that should be on the podcast. So I'm going to start <laughs> the microphone here. I'm with Sean Pendergast uh, from The Triple Threat on Sports Radio 610. Most of the people listening to this will know Sean or know me, so I don't do, have need to do too much introduction of him. But you should follow him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is now... At Sean T. Pendergast. It used to be at Sean the Cablin Asian. It used to be at Sean Cablin Asian, and then I tried to get at Sean Pendergast, but it's there's like this 12-year-old kid yeah. named Sean Pendergast who has it, who hasn't tweeted in like two years. And I don't want to approach him on Twitter about getting the name because I don't want to approach 12-year-old kids on Twitter. It's weird speaking to kids on social media without their parents' permission. hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> no, percent. Even I, when it's not weird at all, it's and, weird. And even though like it... it it could not be more set up to obviously be a very benign situation yeah. because we have the same name. Like, that's obviously why I would be approaching him. Don't want to do it. That's where I'll uh, just put the middle initial in there. A little girl, I say a little, she was like 11 or 12, I think, once approached me about sponsoring her pony or some kind of creature at the rodeo. And I was like, could you have your parents get in contact with <laughs> yeah, me? Totally. I didn't want to be like, here's money, little girl. I'm sending it to you online. Yeah. Where, what address should I send it to? Because here's the thing. All that somebody's going to hear is that you're sponsoring some little girl's pony. And they're not going to, like, the, the part about it getting initiated is not going to get blended into the story. Seth Payne approached me on <laughs> That's how Facebook it'll get twisted. And, yeah, exactly. That's what happens. People color in the story however they want to hear it. Or even uh, John, is it John Mulaney, the comedian? He's got a bit in his new special about how... Anything online in an email or any kind of joke always sounds way worse in court testimony. Yes. So it sounds way worse. <laughs> it's, it, it's like in our business. Like I, I have a really hard time uh, giving an opinion on stories with inflammatory quotes when it's just in writing. You yeah. know what I mean? Because until I always want to either hear it or see it. Because you get so much more context by hearing the voice inflection and the body language, like seeing the body language and everything else. So that's, yeah, the, the lesson is in 2018, if there are parts missing of the story, people are going to fill it in with whatever they want to fill it in with. Sarcasm. And I think it's because of social media. I've read a few articles now about how millennials don't get sarcasm or especially younger than millennials don't get sarcasm. Yeah. And I think it's because so much of their life is online. Mm hmm. That they know not to be sarcastic because it's not a good way to communicate online, and I think somehow that's transferred over into it. Like that, I, because they Bill O'Brien suffers from this big time because he's like a sarcastic Massachusetts, and people don't get it. Like, and that's not because of millennials. That's just like a northern southern. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. So, all right, this is what I'm thinking about doing with Sean Pendergast is having him on. I'm talking to the listeners now. Not you. Yeah. Um, You're like looking like, up in a corner of the room where they might be <laughs> if we were in a studio audience. For uh, TV and film review. So I just called you this morning, or I texted you this morning, and I asked uh, what you'd seen lately. I'm watching Very Cavalry, which is awful except for Jay Cutler. 
Jay Cutler and his wife, Kristen Cavallari, are doing a reality show where she's opening up a clothing shop. Yeah. And Jay Cutler is like almost exactly the person you would have imagined Jay to be. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm hearing that Jay Cut Jay Cutler is getting way more buzz as the husband of Kristen Cavallari in this reality show than he has in the last five years as an NFL quarterback. He is he's the anti-hero that the NFL needs and we didn't even realize that's what he was i feel ashamed of myself because i'm the first one to be like no your quarterback has to be a ceo and he's got to be like peyton manning or tom brady and i'm like oh my gosh i missed out like i could have been embracing jay this whole time he wouldn't have liked being embraced no he would have he would have he hated loves me for playing it. the heel man he's just a jerk he's, he's a cocky smarmy heel everything's wrestling seth but it's not like i kind of always looked at him as like a vanderbilt snob and that's not it at all. He's just a naturally grumpy person. Yeah. Yeah. No, he doesn't. Like, I I did watch in preparation for this, because we, Amy and I have both episodes. Well, the, the next one I think drops today or tonight. We, we've got it on the season pass DVR set to go record every episode. We just haven't watched it yet. Yeah. But I watched some of the YouTube clips that E has dropped on there today. And I'm watching, and he is... He's us. Like, he's every husband. Like, with the one where she has, like, 30 boxes for him to move. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yeah, uh, okay. She's like, no, this won't take very long. He's like, yeah, it won't take you very long because I got to do the whole thing. Like, he's he's the classic husband that doesn't want to do anything. But like you know he, what it is? Oh, my gosh. I think he stumbled onto something here. But this is where he'll be even an even bigger hero to men in his retirement because he's like what he is the fantasy of the way you actually want to act when you feel grumpy but you swallow it he doesn't swallow anything like yeah. when he doesn't want to say hello to somebody he just he just glares at them or just completely dismisses them completely like when his wife wants him to do something he's just like nah, I'm he's, not doing it he's what I, he, I honestly you know I'm, I'm not a former NFL player I'm just a civilian he's what I think Every NFL player should be after they retire, <laughs> like where they have tens of millions of dollars in the bank and they're just and they grumble about every little task their wife has to give them. Their goal is to be the first parent in line to pick up their kid yeah. at school that day. Like that's that's how he fills his competitive void is by getting angry that he was like 10th in line to pick up his kid at school. Except that's the part where the, the old school football part of me comes up again because he'll be he'll be like, well, you know. I was 10th in line, and I was there like 20 minutes early. So I'm like, well, Jay, just get there earlier, bro. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're not well, doing anything all day long. That's where the, Can you show some commitment or passion dude, here? Dude, that, that's where like football Jay Cutler kind of seeps through a little bit. Like the dude, Because isn't that how he thought he was the whole time, like his entire career, like just making excuses, has that bitter beer face going, that sourpuss? And I, I feel like Jay Cutler, I don't know this to be a fact, I feel like he probably blamed his offensive line for like 90% of his problems. He hit the one that one time. The, Which I feel like wouldn't have been a big deal if it weren't for Jake Cutler. Jake Cutler. <laughs> I think if it was another because he kind of he didn't hit him, but he yeah. kind of shoved him a little yeah. bit. Yeah, you know? I, I, I'm, I'm digging the, uh, I, and I, it's reality TV, so it's like a half hour show or whatever. So yeah. you don't know how much of it is like Jake Cutler's been like really nice for like the five hours they record, and then they trim it down to this because they're trying to create a persona or a character. Or if he's playing it up. Or yeah, yeah, but like, but I'm a wrestling fan, so I'm like, who cares? I'll, I'm able to suspend disbelief and believe that this this is the cocky, smarmy heel that I've been waiting for. That's what I'm trying to do, Ever since Ric Flair retired. I've been that annoying guy. Like, in the past, I know better now, but in the past, I've been that annoying guy that's like, well, you know, it's fake, right? I was never that bad because yeah, that's yeah. cliched, but... I could never quite get the appeal. All this stuff has been coming out with WWE, um, and it's just because there's so much good television out now, and we're mm -hmm. going to talk about the Andre the Giant documentary on HBO. Mm -hmm. um, but this is one of them where 
I in the same way that I watch reality television now, I'm starting I'm starting to really get it. Yeah. Because like when I'm watching this very carefully, you can see the parts where you're thinking like, okay, the producer, the producer probably prodded them to do this, yep. or maybe some of this is contrived. But then you realize like, okay, what why am I bothering to analyze this thing? Like I just gotta go with it. And yeah. like just Jay Cutler on here is gonna be Jay Cutler. Shannon the bimbo is gonna be Shannon the bimbo, and I'm just gonna assume this is all what they're saying. When I'm watching this Andre the Giant documentary, and I'm and I'm really glad this is what we're gonna talk about. And I've got like 40 questions here for you that okay. I know we're not going to get to. Because awesome. you are a, can I call you a wrestling expert? I, you know, probably compared to most of the people in our business, yeah. I would consider myself a wrestling expert. Yeah. So when I'm watching Andre the Giant, who was brilliant in so many ways as a performer, and then Hulk Hogan, yeah. who's actually featured pretty heavily in this, it almost ends up being a little bit about Hulk Hogan as well as Andre the Giant. Yeah. The charisma of these two and just what great performers they are. Yeah. But then also how how much of the how much of the drama kind of plays out because it's also in, intertwined with the ego of the wrestlers. Yeah. So like it's like and and I know that's I know that's when wrestling really blew up, right? Was when all of a sudden you couldn't tell what was real and what was fake. Yeah, kind yeah, kind of like it when wrestling blew up, like back in the late '80s, it was oddly enough, like Vince McMahon at the time admitted that it was scripted. Like he was the first promoter to ever go public to say it was scripted because he didn't want to have to pay all these fees to the state athletic commissions. He he went public to say this isn't an athletic event that with winners and losers that are you know through competition. It is a scripted event. It's a it's a you know it's sports entertainment is what he calls it. Um, so yeah, and, and I think the, the Hulk Hogan, Andre, the giant thing was just this gigantic thing back in the late eighties. Cause Andre, the giant was always a good guy everywhere he was. And I remember it was in 1987 when that whole thing went down with him and Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania three, which right. on the documentary, they spent like 20 minutes. They spent like a big chunk of the documentary on WrestleMania three, which is still to this day, like one of the biggest matches of all time. It was 93,000 people. In the, the Silverdome. Yeah, yeah. And usually you think, okay, it's WWE, they're trumping up the number, but it's it's full in the seats and on the floor, so yeah, that's probably 93,000 people. Yeah, it's there may have been some fudging of the numbers, yeah. but not much. Like you said, like you, you can't lie about what you're seeing on the video. There's people in the very, very last rows of the Silverdome watching this thing, and... Um, it was a big deal at the time because scripted wise, at least Andre was scripted as being undefeated for his whole career. He had lost over in Japan and things like that. But back and he'd then, actually fought Hulk Hogan before too. He right? had, and but they kind of just said, "All right, for WrestleMania three, we're gonna we're yeah, gonna say that these two have never fought." They before. had fought in WWE before, like three years before that, or no, like six or seven years before that. But Hogan was a bad guy, and Andre was a good guy. But when Vin, that was back when Vince McMahon's dad owned the company. Right. When Vince bought the company from his dad, he he didn't just take everything and start over again. But he made Hulk Hogan his champion, a good guy Hulk Hogan, and it and for you know for almost two years they built to where it was ultimately wound up with Hulk Hogan beating a a newly turned bad guy version of Andre the Giant, which was a huge deal at the time. I can see why too, because this. This does a really good job of explaining the evolution of professional wrestling, yeah. where, like you said, Vince McMahon's father was the boss of the Northeast. He yep. was in charge of the Northeast, basically. The he, was the, he was the preeminent one in the Northeast. Yeah. And that Andre would, A, never lose. Yep. So he wasn't ever, he was never a champion. 
but he would never lose. And they said you couldn't put him on the card every night because you had to maintain this myth of this unbeatable giant. Yeah. And he was a literal, like, you look at these pictures of him, and you're like, this is a giant. This isn't even a metaphor or an exaggeration. This dude's a giant. Well, it- and he would go from he would go from region to region and over to Japan and just and never lose. Yeah, it was weird. Like it, it was almost like Vince McMahon Sr. had an exclusive with Andre and he kind of loaned him out to territories around like Andre was world famous and he would pop up in all these territories. Ultimately his home territory was the Northeast. But yeah, that was one of the conditions is he's not going to get pinned. You know, he, he, he and and that's what led to this myth of 15 years undefeated where yeah. Hulk Hogan was finally the guy to pin him and it took Hulk Hogan to this next level. What so how's that work? He'd go into these regions, and they explained it as that hey, he would make the champion look good. Yeah. Even though even though the champion would lose, he would make it look good. So was it set up that hey, this is just an exhibition, it, so you're not going to lose your belt? Well, sometimes right? he's not, sometimes he's not wrestling the champion. A lot of times, oh. what they did with Andre is they put him in the territory with whoever the preeminent big man was in the territory. You know what I mean? Okay. Like he didn't fight in many title matches because there's a saying in in wrestling, Seth. Like there's some guys they don't need the belt to be over. You know what I mean? Like they, the just the mere attraction of them as a personality. Like Roddy Piper was a lot like that. Like Roddy Piper never held the, t- very rarely held a title because people would pay money to watch him wrestle, even if he didn't have the championship because he was such. He would talk. He would talk them into the building. He was such a an asshole. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, but Andre was an attraction for a different reason. He was an attraction because he was so gigantic. You don't need to. You don't need to put a belt on a guy who's seven feet tall and five hundred pounds. In order to get people to pay money to watch him, right? You know, so they so if he ever fought a champion, a lot of times it probably may have ended. Maybe it was a non-title match, and he pinned the champion, or it'd be a disqualification or something like that. But the There'd bottom be line some was some kind of drama that ensued. Yeah, and, yeah okay. but the bottom line, like even even uh, Vince McMahon, both Vince's, they never used Andre as a champion or to go up against the champion until they turned him into a bad guy to face Hulk Hogan. He would go up against the other like big monster like he'd go up against guys like blackjack mulligan and killer con these are guys who are big huge villains and andre was like the big huge villain extinguisher you uh-huh. know what i mean like he was the he was that he was like the village hero he, yeah the, the yeah hero of the county that you, and that's what so much of this brought me back to what it was like pre-internet mm-hmm. because you would just you'd see things in magazines at a newsstand or you'd hear about it or your buddy at school was yeah. talking about this guy Andre the Giant and then you wouldn't know about it until you saw it on on USA Network or whatever. That's it. That's how you did. You lived in a territory. You lived you if you were a wrestling fan, you were a fan of whatever the territory promotion. If you lived in Memphis, you followed Memphis wrestling. If you lived here in Houston, you followed Paul Bosch. Um, I lived in the Northeast, so I was following the WWF, which was you know just a regional thing back then. And that was the thing, like in '87, um, when Andre first started to see, you could see like the seeds of him turning into a bad guy starting, like in retrospect. But like he was still a good guy at a time where me and my family left to go overseas for like three weeks on a family trip. Uh-huh. And like you said, there's no internet. There's no wrestling magazines over in Europe. There's no <laughs> WWF on TV. I come back from this trip. And I turn, you know, I go back to watch. I think I had a videotape set to tape it all. And I turn on, I put it, pop in the videotape and Andre the Giant all of a sudden is ripping Hulk Hogan's shirt and crucifix off on Piper's pit. And I'm like, holy, what happened? Hulk Hogan's what year crying. is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah Hulk Hogan's crying and blood dripping down his <laughs> chest. I'm like, what year? How long were we away for? Andre the Giant's a bad guy. But it was so different back then with no internet, man. No internet. You just followed through magazines. Hogan's cool in this because... 
he's telling that story about when he and Andre the Giant. I'm, I'm, I'm trying real hard not to say Andre the Johnson here. I've almost done it three times. <laughs> I keep saying Andre the Johnson. Just don't say Andre head. the Giant Johnson. When he, when Hulk Hogan and Andre the Andre the Giant, yeah. who've been friends their whole career, right. and Andre the Giant kind of helped elevate Hulk Hogan. Yeah. When basically what Andre the Giant has told Vince McMahon that I'm done, my body is a mess, I'm hurting. So this is what they engineer is that they're going to face off in WrestleMania three. Yeah, and that when. When Andre first turns heel and he rips off Hulk Hogan's shirt, Hulk Hogan puts a little, uh, what was it? Vi- it wasn't Visine. It was, uh, it was vi- yeah. oh no, VapoRub. Yeah, he yeah. He puts a VapoRub in his eye to cry. Yeah. But Hulk says, you know, I almost I almost didn't need it because I, I felt Hulk. that bad. <laughs> yeah, like, Hulk, you talk about blurring the lines. Like Hulk yeah, is the ultimate. So in this documentary, that's yeah. what I want to ask you. Yeah. He starts talking about how... Andre the Giant hated Macho Man Randy Savage yeah. and that he hated the Iron Sheik. Right. And he said, well, when you get in the ring with him, uh, it hurts my voice to do that. Uh, yeah. When you get in the ring with him, that that Andre the Giant would just go off on these guys and yeah. physically punish them. But then I'm watching the clips they're showing. I'm like, all right, but that's still not a real punch. So was Hulk kind of selling it there? Or was was Andre the Giant, was he capable in, of actually getting away with that? Oh, you no, know, he was definitely capable of getting away with it. He was considered the boss of the locker room. Like, like he he would not have been, if he had, and I'm not saying he could go into business for himself and just brutalize a guy, but there's a way to wrestle where, you know, just you wrestle normal against certain guys and then you wrestle really snug against guys that, you yeah. know, that you're not that fond of. You know, you, you, because you, a lot of times, you know, when they do the punches, there is contact made, but not like, obviously, not right. like, you know, concussion inducing contact. Or when but, he's landing on your step. Yeah, on your I groin. mean, like, that was the thing. They showed a shot of him on versus the Sheik where I think. I think he steps on his groin. Yeah. Like, there's no way to make that not painful. Yeah. Or like Andre's big finishing move was to, st- like, to sit on guys. Yeah. So you can sit on guys, I think, with certain degrees of, you know, letting gravity do its thing or not. You know what I mean? <laughs> so um, Andre even, there's even stories of Andre. There's a, there's a, uh, there's a wrestler. His name was Bad News Brown. This is after Andre had lost to Hogan and he was still a bad guy, but now he was just sort of your garden variety bad guy that was there to be in other feuds. And he was going up against a guy named Bad News Brown, and uh, he shit on him in oh, a match. Man. Yeah, <laughs> he literally shit on him during a match. That's impressive on so many levels. <laughs> it's like the guts to do it, yeah. the ability to hold, like to, to actually yeah, do it. Yeah, like of I don't people. think there's I don't any. I don't think with Andre, I don't think there's anything about guts. Like he's just like, I'll do all this shit on you, Bad News Brown. I don't you know? like. There's a shy bladder. I don't. I don't even know if there's such a thing as a shy colon. Yeah, because you don't ever like try to do it. Yeah, that's a part of this documentary I didn't like. There's two parts actually. One yeah. was they started talking about his flatulence and Andre the yeah. Giant's love of flatulence. Yeah, and how like he used to love to torture people with it. That's no joke, man. No, a guy. That that big who was really gentle it seemed like he was really gentle but for his ability to abuse people with his flat yeah and the problem there is vince mcmahon is a reputed lover of farting and fart jokes and poop jokes and oh, things really? like that so andre could get a even vince even said in the documentaries like when andre farted it was an event <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the part that shocked me uh, I guess this is a spoiler for anybody that didn't watch this, but don't worry, it doesn't ruin it. Yeah. At, at the end, they talk about Andre Johnson, uh, Andre the Giant's death, and Vince McMahon starts tearing up, yeah, like genuine tears. And they asked him if his if this was different than some of the other passings that he'd seen, and that's what started choking him up. Yeah. And and then I thought, man, he has he's seen a lot of wrestlers die. Oh yeah. With, and either while they were wrestling or shortly thereafter. Yeah. But he definitely like this was. 
Andre the Giant was with him and was an integral part of taking it from a regional thing totally. to a national thing. Yeah. And he was with him for like with Vince from the first time he took over. Yeah, like if you're if you're putting a list together of the like the five or six most important wrestlers to Vince McMahon personally, Andre the Giant's on that list. He's very probably very high. He might even be number one on that list. He was he was with the company before Vince Jr. bought from his dad. He had been a fixture with the company forever. Um, and then he was a big part of the company going national and then international um, through all the WrestleManias. So I, I don't think there was I don't think there was any one bit of put on with Vince in terms of his uh, his emotions. Back to Hogan for a second. I think the interesting thing about Hogan, I, I believe a lot of what Hogan says in the documentary about the relationship between the two, the part where it starts to get a little kind of blur the lines is when Hogan is acting like he didn't know what Andre was going to do in that match. In WrestleMania 3. Yeah, like I one. didn't know right. if he was going to go up for the slam with me, you know, but he did. He cooperated. He played ball. I thought he might go into business for himself. I, to this day, people in wrestling think that Hogan kind of overdoes that part oh, of really? it. To me, the biggest thing about Hogan in that documentary, Seth, and I said it at the time, I wrote a review for it in the Houston Press, and I said this, I thought, you know, the, I did winners and losers for the thing. And I thought Hogan came out as one of the big winners from the documentary because he came across really well. He was a big part of it. He was really, he came across as very likable, which he hasn't always come across as in certain documentaries. And if you know Hogan's story, He's he had been up to that point kind of excommunicated from the WWE for the last few years because of the Gawker tape, the the sex tape that came out in which he's dropping n bombs. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You know he yeah. he he sued Gawker for 140 million dollars and won yeah, because of that him. tape. Yeah. So he he had been persona non grata, and so I I viewed Gawker just got bought for like a million by the way. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it hasn't been good. Yeah. Um. But. Uh, Hogan has been, I think, kind of on a campaign to try to get back into the good graces of WWE. And it just so happens, it's funny, you and I were talking about talking about this documentary today. And just as I get into the parking lot here to come up, I get a, you know, I'm looking at Twitter as I do every five or six minutes in my life. And Hulk Hogan has been reinstated into the WWE Hall of Fame as of today. Oh, really? He had okay. been suspended for he had been suspended for the last three years. Okay. Oh, he, oh, he, so he was in the Hall of Fame. He, he had been, him out, he, yeah, he was he's... in the Hall of Fame like back in 2005. He got inducted yeah. into the Hall of Fame. But he but when that tape came out, WWE distanced themselves from Hogan, removed like a lot of the references to Hogan on their website and on the network. I think there may have even been a special on the network about Hogan that they removed and they suspended him from their Hall of Fame. They just reinstated him today. So I, I think it's appropriate we're talking about this from that standpoint because I felt like there was a lot of Hogan in that documentary that was not only you know helping chronicle the career of Andre the Giant but I felt like Hogan was on there a lot for Hogan as well oh, okay you know because he came across that, really well I right thought. right yeah see that's what the, these are the things PR. I wouldn't know yeah and that's where I'm a sucker for it yeah. just like the kids watching Wrestlemania 3 that thought that Hulk and Andre you're had, talking to one had of them never had never fought before <laughs> yeah oh and the one guy in the glasses he was really good, except that he he oversold it a little bit at the end. So there's this wrestling analyst, the guy with the glasses. I don't know if you know who. He I is. oh, I think it's a shoemaker. The guy that used to write for Grantland, is and he writes, he writes for The Ringer okay. now. Yeah, so he's talking about himself, and I think he's about our age, you and me. Yeah, yeah, probably. And he's talking about how, like, well, you know, when we were kids, we were talking about this about Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant, and we were talking about it like it was a real thing. I mean, we knew it wasn't real. I'm like, yeah. whoa, 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 buddy. When you were 10 years old, you definitely thought it was real. Yeah, yeah. Like I, it's it's funny because I that happened. 
schmuck. No, 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 no. Like not at all. I was a senior in high school. Um, I think I'm a little older than you. So I was a senior in high school when Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant went down. And I, at that point, I was 18 years old. So I kind of knew that it wasn't like, obviously wasn't like your classic sporting event, but I didn't know the inner workings of the business. You know what I mean? Like I didn't know the whole backstory. I didn't remember Hogan and Andre fighting as, with the roles flipped it back in it. Cause I hadn't started watching wrestling at that point. That was when I was like nine. I didn't yeah. start watching until I was like 12. So I didn't, well, that was a, even if, you, and again, that was pre-internet where even if you knew wrestling wasn't real, you still, there was only so, there were only so many ways to investigate. That's it. You know, you might read an article in the paper or something. So you didn't know to what extent. Yeah. Or like what that, that's part what is, I mean by inner work. Some of it fake, but like some of it, you know, like the elbows are fake, but they're still wrestling. Yeah. That, that's what I mean by inner workings. Like, so it's like, okay, uh, you know, I, I know that this is probably like, I know he's, those aren't like, those aren't real punches, but yeah. like, do they hate each other now? Or like that stuff, the line was, was blurred. Or when they're losing their temper well. and it looks like it's like they're flipping out. Is that real? Did yeah, he actually just little, lose little, it? And like, did things. they go off script? Yeah. I What's it called? Breaking kayfabe? Breaking kayfabe. If you go off script? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Or if oh. you, or if you talk, no, well, or if you talk about the business to, the, like if you go public, like when Vince McMahon went public to admit that it was scripted, he was breaking kayfabe. Were there a lot of, I guess there wasn't a lot of, that anybody could do about it, but there were a lot of wrestling insiders that really flipped out about no, that? Well, a lot of old school promoters did. Yeah. A lot of the promoters from the other the other like territories around the country. Yeah, yeah, his, da- his dad's friends were already flipping out because supposedly Vince Sr. had made a promise that Vince Jr. wasn't going to take over the world. Oh, really? And then yeah. his dad dies and he took over the world. Dominated <laughs> yeah. it completely. Yeah. Um, the last two questions I would want to ask you. Yeah. One is when Andre the Giant turns heel like that, he never turned heel in his entire life. Right. It's you see just the abuse he takes, which I don't think he had never actually had to have before. I mean, like from the fans and yeah, stuff from like the that? fans where yeah. they're throwing stuff at him, yeah. they're booing, they're hissing, and everything. Is that a pretty acceptable way to go out? Like, was he was he okay with that? Do you think, or was it kind of emotionally? Well, tough? he he was. Well, I think he was okay with doing it while he was doing it because he was making a lot of money for not having to do a whole lot. Uh-huh. You know, his ma- once he was done with Hogan, they put him into some feuds with some other guys. And the matches were very, very short. You know, like he would, he'd go in and fight a guy named the Ultimate Warrior, who's no longer with us as well, but was like a big star in the WWF at the time that they were trying to boost his stock. Didn't they try to replace him? They who the, the, War- the Ultimate Warrior? Well, he beat they? Hogan for the title yeah. a few years, like in 1990, and then they he just turned oh, out yeah. he wasn't I thought there was like a, material. an imposter, or no, 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 there, or something. They, there was rumors of there being an imposter warrior. There never oh, there was. Okay, there never right, was. Okay. No, there never was. Um, yeah, there were rumors he had died, and they replaced <laughs> him with an imposter warrior. But I, but but back to Andre. So he spent like the next couple years after the Hogan feud. Um, basically just putting over a bunch of like up and comers in very short matches and it was easy money for him, you know, like, so he, I don't think he had a big problem with it. And then ultimately he was in a tag team and he didn't have to do any of the work. He just stood on the apron and his partner, a guy named Haku did all the work and he just box somebody. (laughs) Yeah. Like Haku would bring a guy over. Yeah. He would tag Andre in and Andre would come in and sit on the guy and he'd get the pin. And so, so they did that for a while. They actually won the championships for a while. But what I was leading up to was ultimately 
he got to go out as a baby face. He got to go out as a good guy. Oh, really? Yeah. He, he When they lost, when he and Haku lost the tag team titles, Bobby Heenan, their manager, blamed it on Andre. Like in the ring, he's pointing at him and poking him and what are you screwed up and blah, blah, blah. And then Andre just got to paintbrush Bobby Heenan for about 10 minutes and slap him around the ring and the crowd went crazy and he got to go out as a good guy. And that was it. Yeah. Uh, last question. Do you believe that he once drank 106 beers in one night? I, 106 sounds like a lot, man. I don't get the... It's a, it's more of a liquid problem than an alcohol problem. Yeah. I hear the stories about his drinking and I believe that he would drink six, seven, eight bottles of wine at a time. But yeah. I, I, I can't get however many fluid ounces of beer that is. Yeah, I... I uh, I don't. I believe he drank heavily. Yeah. I believe. I believe he had to drink heavily a lot, especially towards the end, just because of the pain he was in. That's where the Prince's Bride cast was really interesting. They were talking about how much he was drinking and how hard it was to manage. Yeah. Times. And that's what made the documentary so great. Is they, they? I thought Simmons and everybody did a really good job of bringing in people. It wasn't just Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon. You know what I mean? It was Billy Crystal and it was Rob Reiner and it was. Other, you know, it was other historians and other people from other facets of the Hollywood industry. That's what made it so good. I think the numbers are exaggerated on how yeah. much he drank, but I think he obviously I think he drank very, very heavily. And you can't trust any numbers in the wrestling business, if it's, especially if it's coming from a wrestler. Which I guess the final stat that I would put out there is they listed him as seven foot four. 555 pounds. Exaggerated. I'm guessing seven foot, like 390, yeah, 410 or so. I think even seven foot is a stretch. Really? Yeah. No, I think 6'9 for sure. Probably 6'10, six, 6'7 six, foot 4, no way. Um, 500 pounds, maybe at the end, 500 pounds. I mean, he got pretty heavy at right, the end. Right, that's true, and he wasn't really moving around much. Right, he was still drinking. yeah, he was very sedentary. <laughs> he was drinking, you know, however many beers a day. So I, I think even those were exaggerated, but it's almost to the point now, Seth, like I'm not even offended by the exaggerations because he's dead and it's the legend of Andre. Like I'm watching that documentary and like, 15 years ago, I probably would have been like, he's not 7'4". Stop saying he's 7'4". Hell, I think I was even probably saying it when he was wrestling. I'm like, there's no way he's 7'4". But now it's like, I kind of want the myth to grow. Yeah, what are you, you going to do? Yeah, yeah that's like, what, no the guy with deal. the glasses, the Grant Landwriter, says that too. You yeah. Know, like we, we humans, we need myths. We yeah. need to believe in things. And he compared him to William Wallace... Vlad the Impaler and somebody else is like and and Andre the Giant and Andre the Giant. Uh, okay, I think we're probably going to do this every Friday. We'll do like a TV and movie review or whatever works into your schedule. I, that I just works for I just me. volunteered Friday, so next week we'll talk very Cavalieri. Uh, you by then will know and wonder why Brittany is being such a bitch to Shannon. Okay. No, vice versa. Shannon's being a bitch to Brittany, yes. and then so this would be my plan. Any football reality that comes out, okay. so hard knocks. Uh, that Amazon show, any of those things, we'll break it down for the core of our listeners. I love that stuff. Awesome. Thanks, yeah. Sean. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, Seth. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.